Welcome to the CND Podcast. I'm Clinical Editor Christopher Stewart. I spoke to Alpana Mayer, Head of Effective Prescribing and Therapeutics at the Scottish Government, to find out more about managing polypharmacy in the community setting. First of all, Alpana, what is the definition of polypharmacy? It's really difficult to put a definition on polypharmacy because people just perceive this as being a number, okay? So polypharmacy can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing. So what's most important is, is, is it appropriate polypharmacy? Polypharmacy becomes a problem when the patient's taking more medicines than they need to to get any benefit from them. So they're not going to be able to take it long enough, according to the drug trials, to get a benefit from them or they're experiencing side effects. So it's really when the patient's taking too many medicines that becomes harmful. So quite commonly in the literature, people will say it's four or five, um, and that's usually when you start to see the problems, but there's no clear cutoff in when it becomes problematic. So what we call inappropriate polypharmacy. So some people could be taking between nine and 10 medicines, and although they're on many medicines, they could be fine if those medicines are in a tray and they're not worried, and there's some people on three or four who significantly struggle. Yeah, so imagine your typical diabetic patient with type 2 diabetes. They could have, they're likely to have a history of cardiovascular disease. They may have medicines for their diabetes. They could easily be taking uh, 10 or more medicines, and those might be completely appropriate. But then imagine your frailer person who has just recently developed diabetes, and you add in um, some more medicines to what they're existingly taking. And actually, maybe they're not going to be able to get the benefit from those medicines and they start to experience postural hypertension and there becomes a problem. So what I've been wondering is how community pharmacy teams can really make an impact on patients who are considered to be polypharmacy. Community pharmacists have a key role to play in terms of education and talking to patients about their medicines, making sure that they understand what their medicines are for and what it's doing for them. And what's really important, actually, as patients move from, say, for example, from hospital back home, is actually really just checking those medicines. You know, is a proton pump inhibitor meant to be something that that patient's going to take indefinitely? We know that it's been implicated in C. diff, in osteoporosis, and also it has an impact on, you know, gastric acidity, which we need to factor in in terms of long-term usage. And if somebody tries to stop that abruptly, they can get rebound acid. So it's really about that education for a patient. Do they need it long term? And if they don't, how they can stop taking them as well. And community pharmacists are ideally placed to do that as patients move across transitions. How should they be communicating with other healthcare professionals? Say it's the hospital discharging the patient or the GP who has been prescribing medicine for a while and you're deciding you want to not quite question what he's doing, but sort of make sure the medicine's still relevant. I think the key thing is that um, all pharmacists are trained in being experts in medicines, and I really mean all pharmacists are. So we have that expert knowledge on how these medicines work. So if we perceive that there's to be a problem, I think, particularly say somebody comes out of hospital, it's contacting the hospital pharmacy colleagues and just saying, actually, this medicine's a problem for this patient, or... They, they don't need to take it long term or actually did you know that they're on these other medicines that potentially have an impact and the same back to the GP if you think that somebody is needing to stop a medicine 
as pharmacists, we should be prepared to say, well, why? Is it because the medicine's not effective? Is it because that patient's not going to be able to take it required to achieve the NNTs, which is the numbers needed to treat for long enough to get the benefit from the medicine? Um, so it's really important that pharmacists, community pharmacists, are confident and they're given those skills to be able to, uh, in a professional, supportive way, to say back to the GP, I've got this patient in front of me, this is a history, this is my assessment, and these are my recommendations on how we should manage this patient going forward. Across the UK, pharmacists are feeling, I guess, more under pressure time-wise because they've got um, an aging population, more prescriptions coming through them, they're having to deliver other services. Why should they prioritise focusing on patients who, who could be described as being on polypharmacy? So if you look across Europe, okay, there's 8.6 million admissions every year due to consequences of inappropriate medicine use. And 50% of these are uh, avoidable, with 70% of these being in patients over 65 or more. So imagine community pharmacies, patients with long-term conditions, it's quite a bulk of the population that will be taking more than five meds. So community pharmacists have a real role to play in the well-being of the population that they look after. We also know that people from deprived communities alike present with long-term conditions 10 to 15 years earlier. So they're going to have more medicine sooner and need more support. So it's worthwhile in terms of improving the outcomes from those medicines, but also preventing harm to the patients. And pharmacists have a key role to play in that. Is there any systematic ways to sort of help you and your own pharmacy identify patients who could be having problems with polypharmacy, say by looking through the patient medication record and looking at those who are prescribed several items? Yeah, there's several ways that you could do that. So it could be as simple as um, somebody's taking um, lots of medicines and you notice that they're actually that they're not picking them up or they're not taking all of them. Or somebody's just come out of hospital and that's an ideal time to see actually is this combination right for this individual? What did they go into hospital for? And have those things been improved? You know, it's well-known facts that those people that have had an admission because of an adverse effect of medication are twice as likely to have another admission for exactly the same reason if it's not addressed. So what, one of the key things that we say is Pir Mohammed did a study in 2004 and looked at the common causes of hospital admission. It's a really large study that he did. And he identified groups of drugs that cause the most risk of admission to hospital. And really common ones that are sold over the counter in community pharmacy, but that you know, patients buy and common medicines included non-steroidals, aspirin, opioids, warfarin and antihypertensives, so diuretics. So these are common medicines that a pharmacist dispenses. So targeting patients on multiple medicines that are taking one of those gives people a good place to start. One of the things you said previously was about the importance of patient education. I was wanting to ask about the concept of sort of shared decision making with patient care with polypharmacy. So one of the things that we've um, developed in terms of implementing reviews is a seven step process. And that's sort of set out in the guidance. And we worked with patient group and look at health literacy on how patients could use this seven-step guide to really look at their own uh, medication. So the first thing that we start off is, is asking the patient what matters to you. 
So what's important to them in, in all the basket of medicines that they've got? What's important to them? You know, is it important that whatever medicines that they take, that they can carry on with their cycling, their walking? So you might not want to treat somebody really aggressively if you're then going to give them postural hypotension and falls. So a really good example of that is really tight treatment and management of uh, blood sugar for diabetics, particularly if they're elderly. Uh, they have a tendency then to develop hypoglycemia, which means that they, again, can feel lightheaded and fall. So if you then cause a fall to that person, you can take away their mobility. So it's really important that we find out what's important to them as we set targets. So finding out that are they on the right medicine and are they getting the benefit from them. So a good thing is monitoring and evaluation. When was the last time they had their blood sugar monitored? When was the last time they had their cholesterol monitored? Because if the medicines we're giving them are not doing the job, then we should change them or, or reassess. Stopping unnecessary medicines. So talking that through with the patient. And then the really important thing is when you've checked that the medicine's effective, it's not causing any harm, is having that conversation with the patient that they that are they happy with the outcome and are they happy to take that forward and what things might they need to deal with and that includes explaining to them what happens when they're ill so do I do they need to stop any medicines for a short period of time when they're ill to prevent any further damage or harm from the side effects of those medicines in your FIP talk you mentioned that you're working with people in care homes and there was a patient who was on, I think, 12 medicines and they were refusing to take any other medicines because they just weren't happy with what they were prescribed. How was that resolved at that time? Well, one of the important things with that is that it's not ethical, obviously, to disguise medicines and for patients to be taking medicines that they don't want to take. So it was resolved by having a conversation with the patient and really working out with them what was important and prioritising the medicines in terms of preventing any events for them. So this lady had had a heart attack and it was important that she took her medicines for secondary prevention. So by explaining to her the medicines that she really needed to take and those that we could omit, we were then able to reduce the number of medicines she was on from 13 to, to 4. And they were the essential ones that she needed to prevent another heart attack or a stroke. Pharmacists are the experts in medicine. Maybe they don't always feel confident in questioning the prescribing of a GP who maybe is taking that or consultant and then they just feel like it's someone else's problem. But how should pharmacists take on that responsibility? So I, I think it's about really being prepared. So it, I don't think it's any point just saying to somebody, well, you need to just stop this. It's providing that explanation and that rationale. So one of the things that we have in the guidance is um, information such as what, what are the numbers needed to treat for uh, a medicine for different conditions. And that enables the pharmacist to gather that information. They can actually then go to the references and look at that further, which can also then be provided to the GPs if needed. And we've used, we've, we've used that information for and it's available for all healthcare professionals so that even if you're speaking then to a secondary care physician you can give them the same information so it may be that 10 12 years ago 
that that medication was completely appropriate, but maybe now patients developed other comorbidities, more medicines, and actually they're not tolerating some of the medicines that they're now being prescribed. So maybe it's time to readjust the targets that we're setting for the patient. So it's important to be aware of the breadth of knowledge and the breadth of information that a prescriber might want for you to make sure that you've considered all the aspects that they're really concerned about, which is the patient outcomes. When we produced our guidance, we identified key groups that should be prioritised because lots of people, as you saw from the chart that I showed you, take 10 or more medicines. But actually, how do we prioritise those? So one is to target those people that are on 10 or more that are on a high-risk medicine because we know that they're more likely. But we also know that those people in care homes tend to be frailer. So they are likely to have impairment of renal function, maybe liver function, um, and they tend to take more medicines. So targeting care homes is a priority. We always say that um, in a region or in a health board in an area that the authorities should make sure that any services they have in terms of targeting this should focus uh, initially on those in care homes um, to make sure that we deal and manage the highest risk population first. Is there any medicines in particular that people should watch out for which may be no longer necessary for a patient or could have quite negative consequences? Things, things that come up um, are, are typical, like with the Pierre Mohammed study, so that's your non-steroidals, aspirin. You remember lots of um, diabetics were put on aspirin for primary prevention. The evidence changed, it's making sure those people were taken off. Warfarin, including DOAX. Uh, and the other ones that tend to come up very commonly are CNS medications, so opioids, antidepressants, hypnotics. Um, and antipsychotics, so making sure that we review those medicines to target them. And the other one is PPIs, proton pump inhibitors. It's a really common used medicine, um, but often our patients are left on it for too long. You know, think about antibiotics as well, think about antimicrobial resistance and antimicrobial stewardship, making sure that people, and this quite often happens in care homes where patients are on a background dose of antibiotic, and then they're given another antibiotic. So actually the background dose is clearly not working because they're needing courses of antibiotic. And at the same time, you're putting patients at risk of C. diff, building antibiotic resistance. So they tend to be the common ones that focus on. Is there anything else you'd like to add about polypharmacy? I guess it's, it's making sure that we put the patient at the centre, that the aim of polypharmacy to review polypharmacy is not about stopping medicines. It's about making sure the patient's on the most appropriate treatment. As a consequence of it, we may stop some medicines, as some people refer to that to as deprescribing. But deprescribing is not our goal. Our goal is to make sure that that patient's on the right treatment uh, and it's optimised so it's at the right dose to get the best patient outcomes. And remember that have that conversation with the patient. So agree with the patient right at the outset. So that's why right at the beginning asking, what matters to you is really important so that you can prioritise how you deal with the medications uh, and bring the patient as a, an equal partner, as a shared decision-making partner in that. In an ideal world, pharmacists would see every patient that comes into the pharmacy, but we all know that's not always the case. And so I was wondering what advice you can provide pharmacists who want to engage their pharmacy staff and helping them bring issues to them, whether it's a patient 
they'd notice it's taking a lot of medication over the counter or what have you. So I guess if um, pharmacists could work with their teams to identify people that are, you know, on the 10 high risk medicines and maybe start off with people that are over the age of 75 and that are taking maybe, depending on how many you've got, maybe one or two of those high risk combinations. We often say start with the triple whammy, which is a non-steroidal, a diuretic and an ACE inhibitor that are being taken together because there's a risk there of acute kidney injury. So even just something like starting with those people and identifying that to your staff. So raising awareness amongst your staff why that might be an issue. Because remember that they could be on a diuretic and an ACE inhibitor and they could come and buy a non-steroidal. So just that all-rounded holistic education because when we address polypharmacy it's really important that we go across the whole patient journey and the whole system rather than just pick out the prescription but forgetting that actually they may buy medicines over the counter or actually their friend may say well you know you've got that backache why don't you have this pill so it's really important that we sort of educate the whole team as well. I really like that idea of targeting sort of three areas so that you can you know you're making an impact somewhere because it can seem quite daunting if you've got a lot of patients on your books and you're just like, where do I start? That was Alpana Mayer, Head of Effective Prescribing and Therapeutics at the Scottish Government. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to the CND Podcast on iTunes or your preferred Android app. I'm Clinical Editor Christopher Stewart. Thanks for listening.